Hi, I'm Rick Wright, and today I'm sitting down with Eswatini Senior Manager Program's Beggy Motsa. Beggy is one of three senior managers overseeing all Hope Chess programs and carries an instrumental position in all the growth and development of work being accomplished in Eswatini in partnership with Adventures and Missions. He completed his training in the Swazi Leadership Academy and is now one of Matt Gerber's right-hand staff. In our conversation, Beggy candidly shares about his childhood and how he joined Hope Chess staff, discusses different religions in Eswatini, and illustrates how Hope Chess programs are transforming lives. Let's dive in. They activate, especially the young people, so that you could see the church coming on fire and young people being passionate about serving God and standing against whatever that is not godly in their families and in their communities. Welcome to Build Relationships, Break Poverty, a podcast that challenges the Western perception of international poverty by elevating the voices of local leaders and processing how we can help to alleviate poverty without harming those living in vulnerable communities. We are Children's Hope Chest, and we believe that building two-way relationships will break the cycle of poverty. Becky, uh, what a blessing it is to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about you, uh, your background. Where'd you grow up? Thank you for having me here. I've been enjoying it so far. I grew up in in Swaziland. I've lived in Swaziland my pretty much my whole life. So I grew up in a in a little town called Lavamisa in the southern part of Swaziland. Mm, I was raised by my grandma because my parents got me when they were still in school. My dad was able to continue with school. My mom had to drop out of school and raise me on her own. Uh, actually, my <coughs> my dad kind of denied through her par- through his parents so that he he could continue with school. So I only knew or I met my dad for the first time when I was six. So that is why I grew up with my grandmother uh, from my mother's side. My mother raised me um, when I was still young up to maybe two years. Then she had to go and look for peace jobs and everything like that. So I just grew up with my grandma. When I was growing up, one of the things that happened is that because I was staying with my grandma, there weren't a lot of creeds. So most of the time I would just spend my time alone. There was a point in time where I was asking myself, do I really have parents or or what, you know? And I would even sing some songs that suggest that maybe I'm an orphan or something like that. Yeah. So already at five, at age five, I was looking after cattle before going to school. I started school when I was preschool when I was six um, and seven. <laughs> and I went to grade one when I was eight. <laughs> Yeah, but before that, I was already looking after Kate. I would go to the mountains and spend the whole day there, just having fun. So that's where I became more independent in life. Became independent in life, and your walk with Christ. Tell us a little bit about that. My 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 grandmother was a, a prayerful woman. I mean, she was a believer. So one of the things that she instilled in me is it's believing in God. Uh, I mean, like believing that when you pray, then something will happen. <clears throat> I think that stuck in my in my life because um, she would pray when her kids were not home. She would, like they would go for months or sometimes for years 
when there's something wrong with them, she'll pick it up in the spirit and then she'll call us together to, to pray for that specific one, even to pray that they come home and then a few weeks later they will come and then share with us. Then for us as children, we'll be surprised that, wow, prayer really works. I think that's the standard that she set within me. So when I was doing school, just after grade eight, I started being involved in all sort of things that young people do, teenagers do. <laughs> the more I was getting into those kind of things, the more I could feel that I'm steering away from the standard that my grandma set in my life. Then that's when I felt I really need to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pushed for that. I mean, I accepted Christ on my own after I've decided that the kind of life that I'm living now it's just not good for me <laughs> and I really need Christ to help me out of uh, I wasn't doing a lot of bad things but I was struggling inside <laughs> that's what helped me to when we think about the people in our lives the family members that have had such an impact on us yeah. and behind closed doors <laughs> praying for us yeah. you're a story of that Yes. Your grandmother had a lot of impact on your life. It's very true. It's very true. So jumping ahead a little bit, Hope Chest. Mm. How did you go and get involved with Hope Chest? I started in 2007 just volunteering as a translator for short terms, for short-term mission teams. Um, I was still doing school then. I was actually at the university studying Bachelor of Science majoring in Math and Chemistry. But in my church, I was very active. So some missionaries used to come there. So during my school breaks, I would go and work with those teams who were just evangelizing, visiting hospitals and those kind of things. Before then, I wasn't so much exposed to ministry because <laughs> I've been doing school. I've been you know, just thinking I'm, I'm going to be a scientist when I'm in school. I don't have time to <laughs> for people or for anything, you know. But working with them, it exposed me to so many things that were going around in my own community. And I felt like there's so much that I need to do to reach out to people. So because of that impact that their visiting had on me, I started doing more of visiting people and just, you know, sharing the gospel. And that kept growing it went up until 2009. That's when Jambon Omet and Creek approached me and asked me if I can join the staff full-time. Otherwise, before 2009, I used to, every time there's a break, I would, I would go and work with them for sometimes three months, sometimes two months, uh, depending on how on what's going on or what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it was a great talking to Matt and you know, getting his passion you know, for the shepherds. Yeah. And you were on the ground floor of what the Shepherds program is today, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the program called when it first started? It was called, there were a group of seven local staff or Swazis that were moving around doing discipleship. So they were called a discipleship team. We called them D-team. <laughs> yeah. So when I joined in 2010, I became part of that team which was called the D-Team. There were already some care points that they were visiting throughout the week. But when I joined, there were about four new care points that were going to be introduced. Then Jumbon Creek 
um, asked me specifically to help discipling those new key points. That was Lujati, Holy, and Mashabanen uh, and Baga. Those were the new key points that I started discipling at. Most of them, there was just nothing, a bush. <laughs> and the kids wasn't used to people coming to them and sharing anything with them. So, so and your focus was discipling the kids? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And some of the parents were certain, were open to the, the gospel? Yeah, some of them were open. Some of them didn't know what that was about. But there wasn't that much resistance because of the poverty levels. I think people would just accept anything that looked like it's going to help, be helpful to their sure. children. I mean, tell us a little bit about the religions that are in Swazi. It's pretty varied, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The the core one is the it's the traditional one. I mean, people believing in ancestors. I mean, Christianity is acceptable. It's fairly acceptable all over the the country. But the problem is that Swazis think I can serve God, I can worship God, but still. Do my ancestor like honor my ancestors, and because they feel like no, you can't. If you forsake your ancestors, then you are. According to them, it's like you are forsaking your own culture or own origin or something like that. I mean, it doesn't make sense to them that I can be fully committed to go and leave aside my ancestors. They feel like that's your roots. Uh, so that's the big thing. But now there are other cults. We call them ZCC. <laughs> I mean, they believe in water spirits, and sure. then there's all kinds of Zionists uh, who, most of them, they they read the Bible. I would say without understanding, and then they will do traditional healing and all those kind of things. And then, of course, the last few years we have had a lot of Muslims coming in. For a long time, we didn't have problems with Muslims or Baha'i faith or anything like that. It's been the Zionists and traditional healing, like religions that believe in traditional healing and ancestral worship. Those were the things that have been there for a long time. But the gospel's been getting in, thanks yeah, to people yeah, like you. and has been getting in. Swaziland is a free country. Unfortunately, that is allowing even the other religions to, to come in. But a lot of people are bringing in the gospel. And it, the gospel is preached everywhere. And that's what Hope Chess is bringing. Yes. In. Yeah, the platform is always there. So back to the shepherds. <coughs> so you're involved with that program, the Swazi Leadership Academy, right? Yes. Did you go through the academy? Yes. 2010, I was discipling the the kids at the care point up until beginning of 2011 then in May of 2011 I went to do the the leadership training uh, for six months in South Africa then I came back end of the year then beginning of 2012 we started recruiting students for the leadership academy and then my role then was to was to mentor them. I mean, I went with them to the training for eight months. I was on staff with the discipleship program in South Africa. Then 2013, the first group that was going to go to the Cape Points, I was mentoring them and then designing the program 
the weekly program for them and also making sure that other than them pouring into kids at the Cape Point, but they also develop spiritually and personally. That was my role. Tell us a little bit about the Shepherds today. It's amazing how God is helping us grow the program and the impact that is, I mean, the changes that has been happening in them and then the impact that they've had in their own communities. The the big thing for me or the most amazing thing for me about the Shepherds is that when we recruit them, sometimes you feel like, I wonder if this person will, will get anywhere. I mean, there's, some of them are... I mean, it's such a mess, uh, if you can call it that way. Says that it's very hard for you to believe that maybe something. But over the years, God has shown me that there's nothing that is beyond His mercy <laughs> uh, and His grace. And there's nothing that is beyond His ability to transform a life. And as He's been transforming them, it has been impacting me a lot. I mean, to believe that nobody is is junk or is is worth being thrown away, that, oh, you're worth nothing. God has been transforming them, and through the training that they get, especially in the first year, because the Leadership Academy, it's a three-year apprenticeship. When they come back, it's amazing how they see things differently, and they just confront all the ungodly things that are going on in their own communities and even in their churches, the life that they bring in there, because in some of our churches, we, we do worship God, but I feel like we, we, we have so much of this victim mentality that even in our approach of worshiping God, we feel like we've done so much wrong that I don't deserve this, I don't deserve that. But when this one's come, I mean, they just revamp everything and they activate especially the young people, so that you could see the, the church coming on fire and young people being passionate about serving God and standing against whatever that is not godly in their families and in their communities. So that is so much fulfilling for me to see and so much encouraging to see in our communities because that's how I know that this is real change. If they can change themselves first and then give themselves to pursue God within their own communities and commit themselves to to seeing other lives being changed whatever it takes to see that happen they're just committed to it I mean that just fulfills my heart <laughs> yeah boy yeah like you say it fulfills my heart and I think about it because one of the other aspects that I saw firsthand and I know it's a passion of yours is the sports programs mm-hmm. talk to me about the sports programs soccer Football, uh, in America, football is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, as as I was working with some of the kids in Swazi, they were kicking around an American football. Yeah, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. Let me show you how to play American football." And we had such a great time. But tell us a little bit about the impact yeah. on the kids and the community through the sports programs. Yeah, people in. I guess everywhere in the world they love sports. So in Switzerland, we're using that as a tool to reach out to them. We just uh, the sports program is a it's a it's a discipleship program, but through sports. So we 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 gather together. We do what we love with the people out there, and then use that that sports, whether it's soccer or whether it's 
whatever that people love to apply it into real real life situations and then when we apply that into real life situations and then we start bringing in the gospel and bringing in the aspect of uh, God wanting to to change us and wanting to make us the best into what we are passionate about which is sports so it's amazing to see the approach for me it's unique because uh, for a long time especially in Swaziland people have had a negative perception towards sports that especially Christians that know it's ungodly there's so much bad habits that kids learn out there but our approach and the program it's called sports for Christ in our organization our approach they come there we we do clean stuff we we talk <laughs> We don't use bad language for anything. I mean, we, we're family. We, I mean, we're brothers and sisters. We love one another. If, if there are issues, I mean, we solve them the godly way. And it's amazing how the kids start to understand that, oh, I can still make this thing a positive thing because when they've been loving it, especially those that are part of the church or Christians, they've had an issue that, I mean, I, I love this, but how can I develop myself into more into it because uh, everybody's talking bad about sports and everything. But after introducing this discipleship-making tool using sports, I mean, it has made them to just reach out to many places which a typical, just a normal church cannot reach out to. Because when you bring what they love, then they accept you. And then you go further and then you, you end up bringing in the gospel and they easily accept it because you brought it through something that they are passionate about. Thank you for listening to this episode of Build Relationships, Break Poverty. Did you know that we have an online store? You can help us spread the word about our organization by using one of our Hope Chest mugs or shirts. When you purchase an item from our online store, you support Hope Chest's work of empowering thousands of vulnerable children, their families, and their communities. Visit store.hopechest.org to shop today. I guess I want to back up. You work for Matt. He's a country director in Swazi. Tell us a little bit, I probably should have touched on sort of your role Wearing multiple hats, yeah. you do many things. Tell us your, your, your key role. What's a, what's a day, a normal day for you look like? There's no such thing as a normal day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my day and my role as a senior manager for programs. Okay, first of all, in that role, I oversee all the programs. Under me, there are four managers who are overseeing different programs. I've got the leadership development manager and then there are four programs under that which is SLA Music Ministry Sports and there's the Ambassadors of Hope which is also a leadership training then there's marketing and media which is also under that then there's the administration and then the last one is care point development and that's all that's where all the community relations and the care point discipleship I mean, the day-to-day activities at the Cape Point falls under. Um, so those people report to me. Just a normal, if there's anything like that, a normal day in my role, it's, it is split between administrative work at the office because I do a 
more of strategizing around the programs that we do and also designing staff, making sure that the programs are relevant uh, wherever we're presenting them and whoever is, in, is being impacted by the program, it, there's some relevance. And also, I do a lot of coaching to the managers, but also just to the staff in general because uh, there's the program side, there's the operation side. The operations is more about implementing whatever has been designed on the program side. So for me, I, I do a lot of going back and forth, you know, coaching, making sure that um, the focus is more on transforming people other than just pursuing programs and projects because the heart of our ministry is changing lives. It's not just doing programs or doing projects. So what keeps me going back and forth between the operations and the projects is so making sure that we don't, we're not taken by focusing on the projects as in just projects. So my day is split between administrative work and uh, coaching and then a lot of meetings <laughs> with the staff, with different staff members. I also do a lot of, you know, just personal coaching or I'd say personal mentoring. When people have issues, I, I easily see through and then get pushed to the core of what's the root cause of whatever problem that they're going through and then help them to think through, think through of ways to either overcome that or to solve whatever that is giving them a hard time. I don't solve problems for people, but I help them in the process of thinking what can be the best solution around this problem that I have. But also on their work, I help them with, especially with the mentality when they're doing stuff that is challenging. You know, just twisting the mentality and approaching it from a place of knowing that it this is this can be possible. Or if you cannot figure it out now, there could be more different options. So just give yourself time or reach out to different people and see. So for me, it's, it's more about the positivity in approaching anything that people are doing. So my advising and my advisory role and my mentoring role, it's, it's more about helping people being positive. And I come back to the sports analogy, and the word that keeps coming to me is, is, is coach. You're yeah. a coach. You're a mentor. You know, you touched my heart yesterday a little bit when you started talking about care points impacting communities. And communities impacting care points. Can you tell us a little bit about that? As you see, it's it's both, yeah. right? Yeah. A care point. It's a place where kids um, that are, I would say, that are considered good for nothings in the community. <laughs> That's where they go. But because of the ministry that we run, that's where. That's a place where they find hope. That's a place where they find God. That's the place where they find direction for their lives. So as that has been happening, these kids have been given hope and they've been assured of their value in Christ. And as as they've been growing and understanding that I'm valuable to God, I might not have parents or I might have been rejected in life, but I've got value and I can do something positive about my life 
as they grow in that confidence, they go to their families, they go to their schools and friends, and then they they impact those people positively just by being confident in in their bright future that they have in God, you know, and in the transformation that God is doing in their lives. That just brings a huge impact because it changes the the perception. People are like, "Wow, these people are." This, these kids are changing. <laughs> They're not just <laughs> uh, useless people that are going nowhere, that have got no one to, that are to be pitied, or, you know, those kind of things that people think when you, you don't have anything. So that has influenced the community to start valuing the Cape One more because in the past, people, I mean, they did not care about whatever that was going on at the Cape Point. But then now, it brings them more because there's more that the kids are... I mean, in terms of the programs that the kids are doing and the projects that are happening at the Cape Points that are also a way of bringing the community on board, uh, they find a reason now to come and work together towards improving, I mean, towards making their own community to be a best community that they can live in. And they discover a lot of, I mean, giftings from different people that, oh, this one is gifted in this, or oh, I've got this potential, I mean, I, I've got this talent. Oh, th- that's where people discover themselves. And more. So the key point has become a place where people are just discovering things that they've never thought about themselves, whether it's a kid or whether it's an older person, you know, because there are many parents that are impacted by the change that they've seen in their kids and they would, they've come closer. Some of them, they've even received Christ because of seeing the change in their kids. That's impact. Yeah. That's, that's it right there. I like what you're saying, discover themselves. Mm. And then the community starts to embrace it. One time they probably say the care point, what's the care point? It's over here. But then they're starting to really engage. You know, we talked to Matt a little bit about Swazi. We talk about obstacles. We've got a, you know, we've got this issue with a drought that that we've been praying will end. What are some of the other obstacles you see in Swazi? When we, you know, when we're trying to help orphan kids, these impoverished kids, what are some of the other obstacles that are out there? I think the some of the biggest op- obstacles is, uh, I'd say, I mean, it's the poverty mentality <laughs> that is so much ingrained in the people. I mean, in the older generation, because the younger ones are looking up to those. So that mentality it is uh, making people to be, you know, like to be incarcerated in the in a box where they feel like nothing will ever go right and that makes them to be an, an negative role models to the youth that is upcoming and that is causing a lot of abuse towards children because people they just feel like I don't have this I don't have that so I've got an excuse to do whatever to a child or to steal if things are not going right I can kill or for me all those things that people do to other people 
it's because of this victim mentality because of the poverty you know the the strong poverty that people have grown up you know when you you feel like i mean it's so dry around me when i'm growing up you feel like i mean anything that can make me maybe get something then i will do it you know even if it's killing someone or even if it's abusing someone or even if it's stealing from someone i mean to me that's that's a big obstacle to positive development of the young upcoming generation but with what we're doing i mean we are, we are making so much progress in shifting that mindset yeah well it's interesting because then changing the narrative yeah. you just said it right there that's the biggest obstacle yeah. you know donors sponsors all of us we continue to pray for swazi yeah. you know and you see miracles right in front of you every day Tell us a story of something you've seen recently where God's hand, you know, was, I, they laugh at me, but it was, you know, my mom, you say it was a God wink. Yeah. It yeah, was like, yeah. what happened here? <laughs> one, one young man, his name is, he's Putana. He used to be a kid at the Care Point, I think, before joining, he, he was part of the Leadership Academy, SRA. But before that, he was just a Care Point kid. He lost both parents. So just after finishing high school, he, he, he told us that I want to join this program. So please, in my care point, I want to be the one going to the training so that I can come back and invest in my own care point. Before joining the program, he was very shy, you know, very reserved. Uh, but as he was part of the program, he just came alive and he was such a, an amazing leader. I mean... In whatever that is happening, he will just take the lead. A miracle that I've seen out of the change that has taken place in his life is that after finishing uh, his commitment with SLA, he, he, he discovered along the process that he wanted to be a nurse. So after finishing his commitment, he applied for a nursing school in January. And then the, the school starts in August. So between January and August, while he was waiting to hear if they, they admit him, they did admit him, and then he did all the interviews, you know, because all those that have been admitted, they, they have to go through certain interviews, which some of them are el eliminated. So he did all the interviews up until the last one, but when he did the last one, I mean, they just, they, they never came back to him. So what he did, he, he went after hearing from other people that, you know, they've, been, they've gotten their replies, but nothing has came to him. He went there to find out, and then the people were just mean, like, if you didn't hear anything, it means you're not, you haven't been accepted. But then he wasn't <laughs> convinced that, that that's it, you know. Um, he started praying about it, that God, this is what I want to do. He asked if he can write a letter to the principal of the college and explain his situation. Um, then they said yes. <laughs> so he, he went, he came to me after all that, that process and told me that they are quiet about my, my, whether I'm accepted or not. So I, I would love to write a letter but under your name as my leader. Oh, wow. 
so we he he did the draft then I, I took it and then edited it and then I put it in our logo and then we sent it he took it there they gave him some numbers to call and just to find out what's going on but when he was doing that it was so much hopeless but in the process he, I mean he started praying and just before the schools started I think a week before that uh, it was very clear because I also tried to call and see if they are considering that later or anything like that so what happened was that it was clear that I mean there's just no hope in this thing but what he did and I didn't even know he did that at two weeks before that he started he dedicated a week just to prayer and fasting about this whole thing he prayed he prayed and on a Thursday of that week that he was praying, I didn't know he was praying, <laughs> the principal looked through his letter and then he, because in the letter we, we, we did mention that he was part of our organization and we also talked about the things that he's been doing mm-hmm. for his community while he was part of the Leadership Academy. And we also indicated that as an organization, we are committed to pay for his college fees. So after looking through that, he, the, the principal called me and asked if, just to confirm if I know this person, because I had put my number, my contacts in there. He said, do you know this person? I said, yes. Then he said, tell me more about him. Then I started explaining about him and what he has done. And right there, he was like, why didn't you do this? In the beginning of this process, why did he he go through the... Because it's not like he wasn't qualifying. It's because they only take a few few applicants based on what government is able to pay. And I was like, okay, tell him to come and get his acceptance letter (laughs) by Monday. So when I called him to tell him that, the first thing that he said was like, thank you, Jesus. And then he started, you know, like praising God. I was like, what's going on? And then after that, he started explaining that, you know, I've been praying to God about this. And I'm so thankful that he has answered my prayer. Uh, And then he went there. Then he started the school. What I have loved about him being in that school is the influence that he has been. He started his school. Now, just this August, started his second year. So in his first year, a few... A few months down the line, he it could, it was clear to everyone that this is a leader. He was voted to be the director of spiritual affairs for the students in that school, and that this is a Roman Catholic school, so they don't do a lot of Christianity stuff. You know, actually, they're not allowing them to meet, to pray, and all those kind of things. They say if you want to pray, you have to do it the Roman Catholic way. <laughs> But he has mobilized so many students in that school uh, that are meeting for prayer. They are also moving out into the community, you know, helping people out there. I mean, I've been impressed by how he has influenced the school in terms of introducing Christianity, but, but also the miracle that it was for him to be admitted into that school. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. It's a miracle, and and he planted that seed. I mean, we'll look what that seed did. So, you're an answer to prayer. You're a miracle. I mean, the country director Matt speaks so highly of you, Becky. I mean, you know, it's you're uh, 
we'll continue to pray for you and pray for everything you're doing. And my prayer is I can come out to see you soon with a, a group of people. So I want to thank you for your time. It's been a blessing. Safe travels back. Thank you. And next time we'll play some soccer. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Children's Hope Chests Build Relationships, Break Poverty. You can follow Hope Chest on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast.